Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. How old do you have to be to realize you are passionate about food, see problems in the world you want to change, and maybe run a business? Maybe you only need to be 25. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I hope every single one of them is tuning into Tech Bites, the weekly podcast where we talk to innovators and influencers in the food tech space. Today is Thursday, September 20th, 2018, in case you're listening in the future, which I know most of you do. I know most of you are listening to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and on demand at heritageradionetwork.org. Today, we have a really interesting show, which I say every time, but I I feel like it's true. I feel like they're all interesting, and I'm excited to talk to all my guests. But truly, you know, we talk a lot about founders and startups and the startup space and the tech space. And whenever I hear a pitch for a new startup business, nine times out of 10, the company is targeting millennials because they're the big spend demographic right now. Um, You know, they are that sweet spot. And, you know, ever, ever since they invented advertising, the sweet spot has always been that like 25 to 35 year old group. Today, they happen to be millennials. But in this instance, we actually have millennials who are actually starting and running companies, not just for themselves, but for the betterment of the world. And we're going to talk to some millennial CEOs and CFOs today and and find out what their point of view about all these things um, might be different, good, bad, better. We'll see. It'll be fun. I don't think we've had 25-year-old CEOs yet on the show, so I'm always excited to do something new. So without further ado, we will introduce all of our guests And ask them, like we always do, what their favorite app is. Now, the only rules are, because this is an entrepreneurial group, the only rules are you cannot talk about an app that you own, have worked on, or anything like that. Invest in. No, No nepotism on the app. Shout out. So we will start off with Michael Rubinoff, who is 25, and he is the CEO of a company called Farm to People. Thank you for coming, Michael. Thanks so much, Jennifer, for having me. Um, yeah, so I'm super excited to be here. And uh, if I want to dive right into to the app, um, hmm. we've been working with a couple different companies um, to, to really, you know, create both a new technology and a new delivery system locally and, and further, further afield. And we have different 
people on our team. This isn't about our company, but it's That's about... Okay. It's, it, it can be a long lead-in. That's all right. <laughs> I'm confident we'll get there. Um, it's it's really... I mean, it's, it's, it's... And I also just listened to the startup founder on how I built this, and it's, it's Slack. But I really just... I, I think it's really... One, it's an amazing platform. It's connecting people in offices and people around the world where you feel like you can work and call and video chat with them all in one space. Um, obviously, I think probably we all use Slack. So it's one of those things where it's just like I keep I keep getting into and, and enjoying more of the really cool features that it offers. And I was probably late to the Slack party. Um, but I also think it's really cool how he came up with Slack. Um, and really quickly, he was just like building a video game that was interactive and they used Slack internally, the video game concept didn't work and they realized in shutting down the video game company that what they were building for internal communication was more valuable. And I think that's really telling of just entrepreneurialism and, and how we're all on our, on our track to make the world a better place. And sometimes what you think you're building towards and what you think you're creating sometimes ends up being something totally different. But if you're enjoying that journey and, and, and excited about what you're building, I just it made me think of Slack in a whole new way. And Well, Slack is definitely a very popular app amongst the entrepreneurial set. And it's also, I think, an interesting uh, comment. I did not know that about the origin story that they were building video games and Slack just wound up being the thing that they built for themselves. But I will say, um, you know, a lot of times the things that we make for ourselves because we want them or they're not in existence are often the things that really work. I think Band-Aid is a thing that um, a man made for his wife when she cut her finger at home kind of thing. Like, there's a lot of, like, wacky stories out there about people (laughs) inventing something for someone or for themselves that didn't exist before. Totally. So, Slack, great. I should, (laughs) you know, I keep meaning to do a, um, like, a Facebook poll or, I don't know, start to aggregate somewhere the list of apps that people talk about because there are some reoccurring favorites. It's, it's been on my list of things to do for like social media marketing for the show since like January, 2015, (laughs) it keeps shuffling around to the different lists, but that Slack is a good one. Joining Michael, we have Aiden Altman, who is also 25 and is co-founder and CEO of a company called Flora Foods. Flora Foods. Flora. Thank you. Sorry, <laughs> F-O-R-A, foods.com. Aiden, thank you for coming. Do you have a, an app that you like? Thanks for having us, Jen. Um, yeah, my favorite app by far is Google Maps. Like, mm. honestly, I've never looked at a freaking map before. Uh, I wouldn't be able to get from point A to point B without it. And if I did, I'd be late for every single meeting. So Google Maps all the way. I feel like Google Maps is also superior to the Safari map thing that comes preloaded on your yeah, iPhone, yeah. which is terrible. I know. I either and then del- when you open emails and stuff, it pushes to that map automatically somehow. And then I always have to close it and go to the Google Maps because that Safari map thing is yeah, awful. Yeah, horrible. I either deleted it or put it in some like folder hidden on my phone that you can't find it exactly yeah yeah the only thing and i have to it was a TechCrunch article that i read recently was about how google maps is tracking your locations even if you're not going anywhere and even if your phone is off and even if you're not using it because of some very very deep opt-in thing (laughs) when you sign up for it and it the article tells you in some you know 15 step process (laughs) how to go in and find the folder where that opt-in button is so right. that you can tell it not to track you, you know, all the time. I gotta, it's really funny that you say that because 
I, I find this is something with talking about different, you know, generational differences. I don't give a shit if people track me. Really? Like, I don't you don't care. have a weird I, big brother I, thing? I don't, I don't care if somebody's like around? looking at me through my 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 uh, webcam. You know what I mean? Like whatever. Like I think we grew up in an era where like everything we knew, everything we do is tracked. We kind of just know it and take it for granted. And like I'm not trying to hide anything, so I don't really care. Do you think this is? I'm going to just ask a quick question and try not to get completely sidetracked and go down a rabbit hole. But so, are you? Do you live your life? with a baseline of just about everything I do is being watched and recorded by someone someplace? Yeah. Is your, is your concept of privacy very fluid yeah, I, versus I, opaque? I wonder if this is this is a generational thing or this if it's just personal. might be a different personal. show. It might be yeah, completely. We might do another but show. I know, this is an interesting <laughs> yeah. topic. Um, I don't know, like, we started using Facebook, like, in middle school. Like, all my stuff was online for everybody. And, uh, at the appropriate age of 13. At the appropriate age of 13, right. Exactly. <laughs> or 11 or whatever I, I don't think it existed before we were 13. It was, came out I think, when I was I think 13. I got I think. A face, yeah, I think I had one like at 13 years yeah. old. Like I remember that actually. Mm. So yeah. That's um, very interesting. You know, a lot of times um, I, I speak every now and again on, you know, social media and marketing and things like that. And people, I, I hear people say all the time, well, but I have my privacy settings and it's only set to my circle. And... What I tell people is, I don't care what your privacy settings are. You have to assume that every single thing you put on any digital platform is completely public knowledge. If yeah. you do not mm-hmm. want it to be on a billboard like in Manhattan or Times Square, do not put it anywhere on the internet, even if you think you're behind some yeah. privacy wall, because that's yeah. just, it's a lie. That was That was like drilled home by college counselors, too. They're like delete anything that you don't want to be when you were applying to college oh yeah and then when mm. you go to apply for your first job out of school my mom was like make sure there's nothing on your facebook yes. i'm like mom mm-hmm. come on dude yeah like, exactly I'm way on top of scrub that. it right scrub it so we're we're gonna we're gonna put a pin in that and come back to it later <laughs> in the show when sure. we talk about how your age gives you a definite advantage in marketing <laughs> and sure. social media because yeah. i think that that this definitely ties into it. a lot of people can't figure out what facebook is about Okay, so, and next to him is his co-founder and the CFO, Andrew McClure, 26, the old man on the show. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I'll give you an alternative answer here. Um, as of late with my phone, which is almost always in my hand or in my pocket or on my person in some way, uh, if you triple click the home button on your iPhone, it removes all of the color from the screen resolution and you go monochrome. And our phones are already so addicting, like cigarettes, or I guess the jewel would be like the more vaping. Apt. Vaping, is <laughs> yeah, vaping. Like thing my now. little sister. Shout out to Katie at home, who's sixteen and has a vape. Um, <laughs> so that the is demographic. Yeah, if if you're going to spend an inordinate amount of time on Instagram and all these other things, you might as well make your phone a little bit less addictive. But if you I think were to, making it monochromatic makes it less addictive. Yeah, th- think of like if when you go to Vegas, we were in Vegas for business 10 days ago or something. Vegas is just a bunch of lights. Yeah. If you're talking about the strip, uh, it's very distracting and addicting. And the phone, I think it, it's a similar concept. So if you remove some of the color, you maybe will pick up your phone a little bit less for unnecessary reasons. I have a very good friend who's colorblind. And I'm just wondering... And she never uses if there's her phone. A, never gets he, back to your yeah. messages. He, yeah, he's on his phone, phone all the time. No, he has a regular phone. Um, 
And I'm wondering, that's just making me think now, if there are any studies or things like that about that, if color, there are, yeah. black yeah. and white, and that kind of thing. That's it, interesting it also. It stimulates you. The colors and lights stimulate you this in a way that black and white... This might actually be another show. White, yeah, we might do a show sure. on that. And that's um, why nobody reads like... newspapers anymore. So. <laughs> I love newspapers. I'm, I do too, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, like the Sunday paper, that kind of thing. For traveling. sure. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's a retro thing with paper. There is. Totally. I mean, having a paper and coffee in the morning, it's like a, it's a nice ritual. It feels civilized, yeah. like mm-hmm. you're on vacation almost. <laughs> civilized. Right? Yeah, it feels real. So we have all of our young CEOs, CFO, founders of businesses here. They, well, we'll talk really briefly about what each of their companies are trying to do. They are both trying to uh, create better food for us, give us access to better food that's better for people, that's better for the planet, that's delicious. And it's so interesting to me, um, again, as I said at the top of the show, all new tech businesses want the millennial market um, because they're big and they spend money and they're adventurous and they're interested in food and they're experimental and all of those things. We don't often see actual millennials who are starting businesses and you know, trying to make an impact on that end and then also go after their peers. So I feel like peer-to-peer Marketing and business is very different from, you know, random business company picking a demographic that they're not actually aligned with. So Michael started his company with his father back in October 2013. It's called Farm to People, and I will describe it as it's an e-commerce platform for small farms and artisan food makers, and it essentially works in two ways. It can work as a... Um, specific curated CSA of your dreams, where it'll come, you get a box once a week, it'll be the best of the farms of this season. It'll be, if you're a paleo person, you can get meat and seafood. If you're vegetarian, it'll just be all delicious vegetables. So you can sort of curate a regular food delivery slash CSA slash pantry program for yourself. You can also gift it to people, or you can use it simply the way you would shop for groceries and things online, where you go and you can just you know, look through their offerings and you know click, 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 and, and then it comes to you. So that's really interesting because it's, a, it's an amalgamation of a few different things that are happening. Um, and again, they've been around for five years, which is also great. We were talking, Michael and I were talking before the show about some other companies that have been on this show in the space that are no longer around. Mm. Anyway, survival of the fittest. Aiden and Andrew, they have a very interesting company also. The company is called Fora Foods, but their first product they're they're releasing is called Faba Butter, and it is a plant-based butter. Are you calling it a substitute? No, we're calling it butter. You're just calling it butter. Mm Dairy-free butter. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Can you call something butter according to the USDA if it's not dairy? Uh, gray, gray area. Gray okay, area. okay. And, you know, their website is a lot of fun, forfoods.com. And uh, a couple of the sort of headlines that they had on there was butter is history, margarine is toast, which I really <laughs> enjoyed quite a bit. Um, and, you know, their story is very simple. You know, they grew up eating a lot of great food that was actually crap and really bad for you and really bad for the planet. And... They want to still eat that food and figure out a way to do it. And so Four Foods is their solution. So I had a conversation with them earlier this week also about coming on the show. And I think, you know, I I could 
actually do a show independently with each of these companies because they are attacking so many of the food problems that we're having and they're attacking them in a you know, really thoughtful and delicious way. But the opportunity of having these um, three guys in the room, I really want to know if your age and your point of view, and you, you know, you started off talking about your social media just being really second nature. On the one hand, millennials have a terrible reputation um, amongst the old people um, as being really kind of spoiled and entitled and not hardworking and, um, you know, kind of bratty. But then the flip side to that millennial stereotype is, I think, the millennial who is super uh, passionate, organized, active, and I think more and more, especially in the political world, we're seeing a lot of really motivated, smart, active young people. So maybe the point of view is turning. Um, how do you guys think you fall on the scale? I mean, a startup is tough. Mm. Being small is tough. All of those things. Being a startup and being small, you can be nimble. You can be. You can pivot. You can, you know, fly in the face of of convention. All those things are part and parcel of your your startup life. But what do you think is really your advantage of being so young? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think our generation. A lot of us were, I want to generalize, but a lot of us were disillusioned by a lot of, especially in the food world, because we're all food companies here, uh, disillusioned by this really outmoded, broken food system. Um, like we all grew up eating freaking pizza rolls for breakfast. Like I'm sure we did, right? Um, and I feel like we we had a problem and we had the, the, the tools to fix it and therefore had somewhat of like a burden to to take on, and that's why we started these companies. So, I mean, it's just starting to unpack that because that's a very uh, complex opening statement. At what age do you realize the food system is broken? I mean, that's a pretty advanced concept, especially if you're just a kid and you're getting on the yeah. bus and all you want is a hot pocket. Yeah. How do you, how, do you do you have any sense of when you? started thinking about, you know, what does that mean? When did you think about the food system is kind of crappy or the stuff you're eating is not good? Or when did you start to think that something was wrong with the farming system? What was that? H how old were you? How did that come to be in your frame of reference? I, I actually came about it from a little bit of a different angle. I actually grew up with uh, in a family and with a father who owned uh, natural product stores in the in the 90s. And um, so retail is in your blood. <laughs> yeah, eighties and nineties. He was he was like when Whole Foods was starting in Austin, Texas. He was starting a you know natural product stores in Greenwich Village, Brooklyn, and then up in Westchester. Um, and I actually came from it in the in the total opposite direction. I was like looking at kids eating hot pockets and like jealous of that, and yeah. realizing from the complete <laughs> opposite end of the spectrum when you I had, had some weird spelt granola bar, and all you wanted was a pop. All tart. I wanted was a pop tart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was you know. I, I guess really early, you're, I was almost like ashamed of my food being different than what the other kids were eating. Because it was weird and organic and homemade. Totally. Okay. Oh. Like when they had the, you know, the the animal crackers, I had that like organic, weird animal cracker that that was like made with you know whole wheat flour and or whatever. Carob. You had carob bars. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> so it was it was really as you entered high school and the farm the farm to table movement started to happen. You started to have these really cool restaurants popping up in. In, in Brooklyn or, or in the Lower East Side and I started to go out with friends and started to see the whole, like the sea change of, of food becoming something that 
you know, Americans were conscious of. I, I was lucky enough to go to Europe with my, my dad had work there and it was a, it's different cultures. Their food is something that is celebrated. Meals are important. You sit down. It's a, it's a family mm-hmm. time. It's important. And here it's, it's fast food. You rush through it. It's, you eat to, to, to right, live. drive through on mm. the go. Yeah. You, yeah. you eat to live versus live to eat. Yeah. And so to me coming of age as this whole movement was happening was actually like one really a, a validation of what my parents were doing and made me respect a lot more like how I was brought up and realize how you know fortunate that kind of mentality was and also then wanted to push that forward and be part of that change um, being like yeah I've I tried okra or I tried you know these weird you know vegetables and I've been to 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 France or these things and like how do we bring that enjoyment of of culture and of food back to the States and create basically through farm to people, create a product where we can spread the love and help share the stories of people who are creating, I think, you know, truly special, whether it's vegetables or products, truly special products that we want to like deliver. How does that, how, how do you feel when he said he was like jealous of your hot pocket? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, hot pockets yeah. are good. They, taste good. <laughs> they are good. A- I mean, Aiden and clear. I, Aiden and I grew up in Michigan. So hearing Michael's perspective is really interesting because our uh, inflection point happened like around college time, which is interesting because that's when you're truly out of the nest and you're you cooking become, for yourself or you're foraging for your own food situation. You yeah, it's that or you're pockets. going to the dining hall, but it, you have complete autonomy over what goes into your mind. So I think it's a confluence of that autonomy and um, maybe some of the open mindedness that comes with the, the college experience or you entering your early 20s where you become hopefully more impressionable by other people that maybe had the more Michael experience surrounded by like the natural foods environment and you're like well maybe that is a better way to view what goes into my body because that's energy and that's the only reason i'm awake right now (laughs) so we can be a little bit more discerning on what's going in and then you throw in a a great documentary like food inc um and there have been subsequent things that have been released that uh, haven't done as great of a job and are pretty partial was that a pivotal moment seeing that movie for you yeah, I don't want to throw all my eggs in one basket, but that that what about opens... supersize me. Definitely. Yeah. So, yeah Early I'm... later. No, no. Supersize me was definitely impactful. Yeah. 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 I think that's one I think of the that most was the frightening, first one, actually. amazing. It's very visceral yeah. Yeah. to see someone be in that state. Yeah. Yeah. You can't yeah. unsee yeah. any of that. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. The change of his body, like. Oh yeah, that was ridiculous. Right, right. Did you ridiculous. get to eat a hot pocket at some point along the way, or like a pizza roll? <laughs> I I think a friend's hot pocket. You ate, yeah. you were like at Parents a friend's house never and had that. Hot pockets. What, was it delicious when you had it, or did, could you taste the chemicals? And, when you, when you or did you feel bad parents, later? Uh, no, I think it was the the pleasure of of enjoying something you're yeah. not supposed to enjoy. Got it. Just makes, the forbidden pleasure. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> We are going to take a quick break to find out who the amazing underwriter is of today's podcast. Did you know Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit? We are. We are supported entirely by the generosity of our members. We have tote bags and koozies that we give people. Grants and underwriters like this one, they help us keep the lights on and the mics hot. Stay with us. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. 
Roth is in its 25th year of making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning alpine-style cheeses under the name Grand Cru. Fresh Wisconsin milk, combined with expertise and affinage, is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cru Surchois was named world champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit rothcheese.com. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly podcast where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today we are talking with millennial CEOs and CFOs who are really taking a good stab at changing the world. We are with Michael Ribinoff, who is the 25-year-old CEO and co-founder of a company called Farm to People. It's a really great uh, CSA-style e-commerce platform to bring the best of the farmer's market to you, wherever you may be. If you want to check them out, their website is farmtopeople.com. You can follow them on social media at farmtopeople. Sitting next to him are the co-founders, CEO and CFO of a company called Fora Foods. You can check them out, Fora, F-O-R-A-F-O-O-D-S.com. You can follow them on social media at Fora Foods. Aiden Altman and Andrew McClure, they are here today talking about the first product coming out of the gate, which is called Faba Butter, which is plant-based butter. Plant-based butter. Yep. So we're talking about the millennial CEO and how everybody wants the millennial market, but you probably have an advantage marketing to your market. Um, I'm sure that it would be really easy to say, well, you're young and people probably don't take you seriously and do you really know how the world works? But what do you feel like your advantages are in terms of the business side, the business side, the marketing side? Because mm-hmm. in the startup world, that's all people are really focusing on. I mean, once you have created a product that people like, the next question for any investor or advisor is going to be, what's your marketing strategy? Mm-hmm. How do you plan to scale? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I think... Um, when you're when you're marketing to your peers, there's some sort of intuition you have. Like we know how we want to be marketed to, so therefore we try to translate that to how we raise awareness for our butter. Um, right now, we're doing a lot on Instagram. Uh, that's where I get a lot of my content from. Uh, that's where the influencers that I follow, that's the people that I look up to. That's where I get recommendations from. So we're doing the same thing. We're partnering with micro influencers who have really strong uh, and engaged followers who, who care about what they're putting out there. We're not putting up, you know, bus ads or, you know, billboards or anything like that because it's... Because it, millennials don't take the bus? No, no, it's not, not because millennials don't take the bus. It's just... Because they're looking at Instagram while yeah, they're, they're on the ins- bus? They're looking, you're looking to hear <laughs> yeah, the recommendation the from your peers. Right. You know, that's, that's what carries the most weight. Um, if you see something, you know, you don't know where it comes... If you see a big bus ad, you don't know where it comes from. It's not endorsed by someone you trust. It just, mm-hmm. you can get a million eyes on it, but those eyes don't actually mean anything. So what do you all think are the top, like, what are the top three things that you do to communicate and talk to your audience? What are the top three best ways to market and communicate and convince your millennial base? And then on the flip side of that, 
What are the top three things that you should never, ever, ever do that you see big old companies making those mistakes? I think three things that we're, that we're, some of them that we're doing and some of them that we really want to do is communicate directly and transparently and honestly. Um, so what I think, does that mean? I hear those words all the time. <laughs> I think, so I, one company I really love, I, I love their, their strategy is Everlane. So they're like mm-hmm. a, a, a sustainable. It's one of the best names ever yeah. also. Whoever like the marketing person is who thought of that name, Everlane. It's just genius. Yeah. On so, it works on so many levels. Yeah. I wish I'm, that's one of those things that's so good. It makes me mad. It wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I look at, I look at what, what, what they're doing and their strategy and, and it's obviously super polished and they have a big team and it's, it's not, it could easily get diluted at this point and feel inauthentic. And there's something about their sneak peeks into their office Their I think they call it like transparency Tuesday or something Friday or sustain, sustainable some Sunday or, and, and, but, but you really see true people and you see where their product is coming from. And for some reason, a brand that's probably, you know, north of a hundred million dollars feels like it's being made by still small. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what, that's why you're seeing big, you know, mega businesses buying up smaller brands because it gives them that voice and that, that, that reach right into like kind of a a millennials. And it also quite frankly might be the only way to actually get in and get the roadmap to how someone's doing that. You know, I mean, once you buy a company, you buy all the secrets, the secrets mm-hmm. of the sauce, the marketing, you know, you buy those people also who are thinking, not by the people you rent them, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, who are creating all those kinds of things. So, so going directly to your customer base, but also showing them a really very honest and intimate view of what the company is doing. And it doesn't hurt that the company is operating in the bestest way. Mm-hmm. For the product, the people, and their customers. Totally, and yeah. I, and I think to to you know to add to that and something that I'm really excited to to do more of for farm to people is to to bring customers into into how things work. You know, basically, and we, we've had these issues before where you you, you know you we put up this box on the site and we say you know X Y and Z you know produce items are going to be delivered in in your order. And then you get a call from a farmer and, you know, there, there was a hurricane or, right. or whatever. Or a giant and, rainstorm with flooding like we just had uh, in New York over th- that earlier this week. Totally. And all of a sudden, you know, all There's the no delicata swash or all yeah. the kale or whatever Gone. you promised. and Because it's nature. Because it's nature. <laughs> and customers forget that because it's delivered and it's, you know, they forget. It, the, it seems like it's a hot pocket. Totally. <laughs> and so I think one thing that, I, and, and we don't do it well enough yet, but what we're driving towards in every new person that we bring on the team is like, if on, on the marketing side is what we're trying to do is convey this is the messaging and we need to be honest. Even when you don't get that kill and you get Swiss chard or, or, or something else, this is why. And it's not, it's because we want to give you the best product and support the farmers right. where they need to be supported and not, not it can't not a always. switcheroo. It's yeah. exactly. So I think that, We'll all succeed if we can if we can have yeah. that dialogue with a customer. Well, and transparency is a part of your success story. Like in in order for people to appreciate what you're doing, you have to reveal the transparency in order for them to understand what it is that you're doing. Because maybe plant based butter is not as obvious as just plants. Yeah, I mean you have, you have to live the lifestyle. Like that's like to be authentic. Like the reason we did this company is because like we eat plant based. This is what we feel is is necessary. And sure, you will have a lot of people get into plant-based space because they see it because you can make a lot of money or something like that. 
But I think that obviously the best stories that come through and the best brands will be the ones that are the truest because it comes from a deep place. Yeah. And, and to add a little historical component, if, if you look at post-World War II, where did people get information about food? They usually got it from enormous CPG companies. And these are the exact companies that nobody trusts anymore. Because in this moment, the trust is coming from your friend right, right next to you homies that you hang out with like that it's their opinion that you're going to trust not some big company and we're really good this generation and generation z is coming after us really good at sniffing out bullshit Uh, so does it matter if you don't agree with your friend's point of view i mean i'm sure you probably have friends who aren't on a vegetarian based diet Mm -hmm. or maybe they like something that you don't like they're you know they may not be an expert on farming or agriculture, or they may not be a chef, or they may not be any of these things, but you would prefer and put more value to their point of view about a food product before anyone who would be like a, quote, expert. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's where it's... Inter- it's an interesting balance point. Yeah. It's imperfect because you could argue that the CPG folks are actually hiring very expensive scientists to run Well, what about in between? I mean, we can all say CPG and the giant evil, you know, industrial food complex. What about stuff that's like in the middle? You know? Can you give an example? Um, What about smaller brands? I'll I'll tell you one of my favorite... and they're, I, I think they're a great company. Please don't say something that's terrible about them. Um, one of my number one potato chip is Utz, mm. which yeah, is... They've been uh, around for a while. They've been around for a while. Yeah. They're not a tiny company. They're not a CPG. They're a, you know, medium-ish little family snack food. They're East Coast-ish. Um, I think they're based in Pennsylvania. Everything's really fresh. Their potato chips are perfect. It's potato oil, salt. They make them. They sell them. They have a whole line. I love them. They're not big. They're not small. You know, Mm. they're probably too big to be on your farm to people because they're not like a small maker. They're like a big company. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that I think that there are some of those older older legacy brands that are still independently run that are in making a comeback. I'm trying to think of, I mean, not, not a comeback, so to speak, but they're becoming relevant in ways because we respect that they're independently run and that a family, you know, four generations, I don't know how old they are, but three or four generations ago built this potato chip and was a small batch maker at one point and, and grew it and grew it and created an audience of people who today still respect and love that potato chip. Um, I'm not super familiar with like all the different ingredients they use or things like that. I mean, maybe they you use genetically. You can buy them in the subway. Oh, maybe they use genetically, genetically modified oh, oil. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of the mm-hmm. time, like French fries or, or or potato chips or anything that's fried. One of the the biggest things that people forget about is it's usually you know fried in a in a in a in what I would consider kind of a toxic corn or soybean oil. Um, that's also you know propagating you know. Interesting. Mass, Drilling down on mass, the details. Yeah. Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's 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 in all of the food we eat. It's it's so many different layers. It's uh, it's it's transportation. It's the ingredients that make the the larger product. Um, and I mean, RX bar is like a, I think an example of a product that ballooned and was sold for. I feel like they're not that healthy though. When I look at them, I've never had one, but I read the package and everything, and I 
I don't understand. I, I'm not arguing that I I, I like. I, I don't actually understand have never tried what one. the thing is with them. Why they're supposed to be so great? I mean, because they say there's six almonds and everything right in the packaging. It's the transparency. It's the transparency. It's, the, <laughs> it's I that. Don't know, but I mean, I don't really just want to eat egg whites and dates. <laughs> yeah. Well. Me neither. But I'm just saying, like I, I think mean, that's just like eating sugar yeah. and like <laughs> most, a pile of most bars protein. are pretty sugar laden. Yeah. Just so they yeah. don't taste like sugar. But it's dates. Exactly. And that's their differentiator. They're like, turn around a different energy bar package and see what's inside. We're showing you what's inside yeah. because they're proud of it. I'm again I, I don't think I've ever tried an RX bar, but yeah. I'm just giving Either that's a I. Mm. So um, do you foresee an opportunity do you foresee a point in time when your contemporaries will not be your arbiters of taste and information? Do you think, I mean, I don't want to say outgrow it, but would you out, do you, do you perceive that you would outgrow that at some point or do you, are you, do you make the supposition, all, you know, all of you that this will be sort of your information community now and forever? It has been since you were young, Facebook, very very young age in that community digital connected place no i don't think so i i've always i i've always enjoyed like the the ideas and the the recommendations and and the things that people have done before me and i can't wait to see what comes comes mm. next like i always think it's we're, we're it's shape shifting and things are going to mm. always be changing and that's exciting to me i think that if we can be a part of pushing forward you know food and how people enjoy food and how people connect to their food that's really exciting, but you know, Gen Z and and people who are are not born yet are going to have you know a different set of challenges to, to 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 play with and contend with, and um, I think that's going to be exciting. And we were born into a certain world, like when you talk to people who flew pre nine eleven, or like we were born into a world with Facebook and high security and this constant fear or like a war that's, you know, we, we've been in our whole conscious lives. And, um, you know, there, there's a next generation that's even more enveloped in this different kind of life. And I think that they're going to have really creative, um, ideas for how to, how to, how to break out of that or how to, how to improve upon that. Um, and I look to people like, you know, older generations that, that remind us of our past pre, pre when we were here and, and pre, you know, pre, I don't, I don't know, pre this food renaissance, pre 9-11, pre all of that. And it's, and I think it, it, it will always, you have to use your past and your future to like mm -hmm. really influence like your own decision-making and your own lifestyle. So do you think that a, uh, a drive towards natural, good food from the earth is an antidote to a lot of these things? It's a more simplistic, wholesome, comforting return to things that are the antithesis of the Facebook and the security and the media and the bombardment and the stress and, and all of that. Because, I mean, food is, I mean, the reason why food endures, I think, and why we have always spent so much time talking about it as a people. I mean, some of the, some of the oldest, most ancient documents from, you know, Roman times are like recipes and mm -hmm. cookbooks. So, I mean, there is something fundamental about it because I do, you know, the nourishment of, you know, the person and the family and the hearth and all that. Do you think that your interest in food and this very basic thing is, is an antidote to everything that's a part of your baseline life? I, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, food is obviously one of the most like visceral things and it's shapes identity and culture and it's pervasive. And, you know, I think like having better quality food is very, very important. 
Um, but specifically like what we're doing in the plant-based space, uh, I think people still put, you know, the meat and, these meat and dairy mega companies are still super, super powerful and, um, and they, terrible also and terrible, I mean, but the, there's some the of the, news this is the worst in the food well, industry. Well, in the news headlines, even just mm -hmm. this week with the, um, hurricane Florence, mm -hmm. it create created flooding. And I read a headline that there were 77 industrial pig farms where mm -hmm. the pig waste lagoons yep. were now flooding and breaching oh, yeah. like their things because right. of that. And I mean, mm -hmm. that's one very small part of the country that's 77 farms. That right. was like a headline on my app. I just saw mm -hmm. that and it was just appalling and terrible right, at right. a very fundamental level. Exactly. And, and I think just now people, I think that's why like plant-based is really one of the next big focal points in the food movement because people are now starting to realize the hurt that these kinds of industrial animal ag farms are putting on the planet and every stakeholder in the supply chain. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's going to become more of a focus now. Well, I'm sure that you have a beautiful, uh, PowerPoint presentation deck that you share with investors and advisors <laughs> about your, you know, short-term, mid-term, long-term goals. My guess is that your deck probably has like maybe a five-year plan mm. in yeah, it. Yeah. All the buzzwords, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm. You know, it's probably 12 slides. <laughs> 10 slides. Oof, yeah, keep it so tight. lean, keep it tight so tight, nine. tight yeah. like butter. Um, <laughs> Do you see in your lifetime or in the lifetime of your business any of these problems getting solved? Do you see as a break point where things actually start to shift and, and realign themselves? You know, to you, to you also, Michael, I mean, you um, are using, you know, technology to bring a very small natural-based product to market, um, so using all the technology to sort of like preserve something that's very um, original. Yeah. Do you do you foresee a point where there's like a break point where all the farms are small farms and they're getting their stuff delivered? I mean, does anybody have a sense of are you going to solve this problem in your yeah. lifetime or is this for your kids or? I, I, yeah, I, I just while we're still talking about like the animal life farms, um, this is definitely I hope it will happen soon. I mean, these changes are like very fundamental structural changes in the food system and they're not going to come overnight, obviously. Well, because they're tied to massive political financial yes. systems and mm -hmm. structures. Money. Like exactly. global money. global money, money and politics. Exactly. Yeah. So people will cling on to this for as long as they possibly can because they own the market. Um, but then again, these factory farms are also like the biggest immediate threat to our planet and to global warming. Uh, and it's one of those things where like we better do get with it quickly. Do you believe that exists? Damn right I do. <laughs> Damn right. Um, so yeah, I hope that this stuff happens quickly and you know, that's why we're doing this now and that's why we're launching at scale you know, for a global commodity market like today. And that's why a lot of other plant-based companies are doing this too from Beyond Meat to Impossible Foods to Ocean Hugger and so on and so forth, a bunch of brands. So at least we're putting forward this new narrative, like this new paradigm, and we hope that a lot of people will uh, latch onto that as quickly as possible. Do you think you can change some, and I'm, uh, you know, millennials being where they are in the chronology of people alive on the planet, you're sort of in the middle to the bottom of the age range. Do you think you can change the world from the middle up and from the middle out? Yeah. Yeah, yes, I think so. And we, we, we talk about, even on this podcast, we've been talking about millennials a lot, but I think 
we can't forget about Gen X and even boomers. Like, we're all very, very curious inherently. And I know I sound like the 26-year-old geezer in the room right now. but You are the old guy. Yeah, the geezer. Uh, <laughs> the, the advent of the Internet and the access to information that brought with that uh, allowed us to be much more curious in, in an immediate way than we ever were before and people want to learn and the information is out there and boomers for example aren't just like lying in hospital beds like they're changing the way they eat as well <laughs> yeah. so it's not just they a want single, to live longer yeah like who yeah who doesn't want immortality so I, I think we're all kind of like in a very abstract way shooting for that and one great way to do that is through food and food can only change from the inside out and let's yeah. be honest the vast majority of our food comes from uh, you know, factory farms and monocultures and stuff like that. Yeah. So, and we're not the we're not like millennials aren't the only ones who are making plant based companies. Like it's, no. it's yeah. everyone across the no. spectrum. Yeah. Pat Brown's sure. Pat Brown's an old guy. Exactly, yeah. he's an old dude. Hey, he's not a millennial. Right. <laughs> you said this before we we entered the room, and I think it was a it, it stuck with me throughout the show, and I think it's a really apt. Uh, you know, thing to touch on, but is also, um, you know, collaboration and the idea that you have like a lot of people in all different age ranges and with all different sorts of experience, but all driving more and more towards the same, you know, goal and mission. And I think that, you know, what, what these guys are doing with plant-based butter and what we're trying to do with connecting small farms that used to only have one outlet to sell their product, but giving them more options and at different prices. And, and stability also. And, and stability. I mean, stability for a farm is 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 everything. Critical. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so the more that we can help, you know, move things into different channels and, and the more we work together, the quicker, not, not to sound too idealistic, but really that's like going to be... You're how, here to exactly sound too idealistic. <laughs> that's, why, that's why you're on the show. And I I am idealistic. Yeah, yeah. So I do, I really do believe yeah. that like all of our minds and all of the other people making and, and fighting for this change, like as we all come together and, and collaborate and don't feel like you're, you're trying, it's not us against the world. It's us for the right, world. Right. Um, we are the world. <laughs> I'll stop. I mean, both, both of our brands though, we're just like trying to change the system of industrial ag and like monocrop farms and stuff like exactly. that. That is the most pressing problem. So we're attacking from different angles, but it's essentially the same mission. I listen to a lot of podcasts, which I'm sure comes as no surprise. And I was listening to the four hour work week because I love Tim Ferriss. Yep. I'm a longtime Tim Ferriss fan back from nice. the first New York Times paper book. And if you haven't read the four hour work week, even though it's pre kind of digital age, it's a spectacular read Classic. and has a lot of good stuff about how to manage your time which I think is the most valuable commodity that we have. Sure. But anyway, he had some superstar founder guy on who was answering letters. Um, you know, and one of these guys who's, you know, started a bunch of companies, buyouts, you know, several commas on his bank account. <laughs> and the question was about education and schools and the education system today and what changes need to be made to schools today so that people could be successful for the future. And his answer was such an interesting one. He said, because we have access now to every piece of information imaginable, you know, at our phone, on our person, and probably in the future, you won't even need the phone. Mm -hmm. You don't need to memorize things. You don't need to memorize history and details and statistics and facts and where something is and geography because you have all that knowledge. Mm -hmm. What people need to learn is problem solving and conflict resolution and um, organization and those types of things. It's sort of like intellectual concepts of 
you know, behavior and interaction, um, which I think is, is interesting because as we move through a time where, you know, you can have all the information you want about anything, about anybody, nobody's life is private anymore. What are the skill sets that you need or the things that you're going to do with your time because you're not learning all that stuff? That, that may be part and parcel of why, you know, collaboration and movements and things like that are coming together because we don't need to come together to talk about stuff to learn it. You come together to actionize it and, and do things, which I think is interesting. He thought that schools should teach meditation, conflict resolution, mm -hmm. sports, you know, jiu-jitsu, mm -hmm. like that kind of yeah. thing. And then just, you know have yeah. all the access which was an interesting idea yeah um and you know not, not to be so black and white obviously you need a mix of history and some of that stuff because mm -hmm. history is obviously super important but like we don't need to dive into like the school system stuff but i mean it's like you know post-cold war school system is is very inefficient and we're learning a lot of things that are not practical in the real world and when you're in school you're in somewhat of a bubble so yeah i actually yeah. Uh, i went to a do you know the waldorf school system no. Have you heard of it? So I actually went I, to... I, when you say Waldorf, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the hotel and the Same. salad. Same. Okay, no, so I went to, <laughs> I went to a very alternative... It's, it was actually founded by a German philosopher um, pre-World War II. Um, he was ex, uh, like excommunicated and kicked out of Germany for, for his school system during that time. And he came to uh, America, and his fir the first Waldorf school he started in America was in New York City. Um, and I, I went to this school, and the whole idea... Um, and, and now they have schools all over the, all over the country. It's a, it's called anthroposophical like thinking. Um, and it's actually the foundation also for biodynamic farming. If you know biodynamic mm -hmm. farming, he's yes. the same philosopher. So the idea that things rotate and that things, right. everything that it can be used for one thing can also then be used to help grow or help heal another thing. And that was the way that actually the school sit, we, we, we grew up and I, and I was taught is, you know, we would learn knitting and crocheting and we would never take uh in high school you'd never have chemistry in ninth grade you know biology in 10th every year you took a month of each and it was fully integrated so you deep dive for a period of time yeah. in a single subject very deep dive, mm. like two hours every morning into into that as opposed to like 40 minutes every day for a whole year and how, how it really was interested be interesting because what you were learning with in history coincided with what you would be learning in chemistry and in english literature um mm. and in, in an abstract way it all kind of interconnected and it was similar to the food i was like this is a really bizarre way to eat we didn't learn to type until high school we didn't use computers they didn't want phones it was completely completely different um it's this very small private school in the upper east side and we also competed with like the collegiates or the daltons or these really kind of where anderson cooper went you know like these really kind of competitive super academic uh, academic and prep schools, schools. Yeah. yeah and we were like the kids that learned this thing called eurythmia it was like movement we were the weird kids we were the, yeah <laughs> eating those granola bars but yeah. then i just read about you know the the we work founder wants to start a school i don't know yeah, I like heard two about years that. ago yeah. and i was like yeah. that sounds like the school i That's went to right and so it's it's again this full circle where people are realizing that like the you know Kids now are gonna learn how to use their phone from when they're like three years old, if and to that keep it old, if yeah. that old, yeah. and yeah. and these these guys who are making our phones in Silicon Valley want to keep phones away from their kids as long as possible. Right. So you're starting to realize mm -hmm. this really interesting seesaw or balance yep. of counterpoint. Yeah, you got to wonder at what point, like, what's the impetus, like, the moment when these 
I don't, I don't want to call them quote unquote new age schools, but like alternative education will actually start to scale out because they obviously and not are be alternative and not be anymore. alternative yeah. anymore. Just be right. Education. Exactly. Yeah. Cause they sound really, I mean, you're a great kid. I'm, you know, well, maybe, um, <laughs> maybe it's like you, maybe it's just the, simply somebody needs to come in and just call it plant-based butter. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a marketing thing. Maybe, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's all just about a marketing the spin. thing. You know, yeah. a lot of it is the marketing thing. That's how, no, for sure. that's how a lot of it came to be in the post war. You know, as soon as we started getting radio and TV and magazines and all that, that's when the big marketing machine started to churn. And that's yeah. interesting. a lot yeah, of it has to do true. with marketing. And mm-hmm. I'll, uh, really, really quick. Um, and I don't fully endorse this idea, but Peter Thiel, famed for being one of the first investors in Facebook, a pretty contentious figure for a number of reasons, mostly politically, but he did have, this isn't necessarily my idea, but um, his take on education is that you know we're told from a very early age that we should get a well-rounded education, and Peter Thiel's like, fuck that. Like, if you know when you're 10 or 11 that you don't like math, then, like, let's throw you into theater class. Like, let's get you, like, dancing around. Like, what makes you feel good? And uh, this idea of balance maybe is a little misguided, and we just need to like, actually double down on the things that make you feel good. About or, yeah. or, if you practice martial arts and combat sports, they will tell you, run towards the thing you're most afraid of. Mm. Sure. Anyway, we are so out of time and we could be here for another hour um, and we can do a couple more shows. And I'm actually sitting here making mental notes for a couple of other shows that I think could come out of this show. Some non-food related shows, right? Some like well, it's just... all food tech. Yeah, but I mean, there's a lot of different things. And I think there's also some other shows on the network that you guys would all be great guests for, which we'll talk about later. Um, this is all the time that we have today. I want to thank Michael from Farm to People for coming out. I want to thank Aiden and Andrew from Fora Foods and their Faba Butter. Tech Bytes is engineered by Vitor Hirsch. Our theme song is Nomad a CPU Track. It's by DJ Uptown Nico. You can find him on SoundCloud and at clubs around New York City. We broadcast live on Thursdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time from the Heritage Radio Network studio inside Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and your favorite podcast platform. We are powered by Simplecast. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bytes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.